Hello, and thank you for joining me. This is the Ultra Human Podcast. My name is Rachel, and I'm here to help you be your best human. And this week, I'm going to do that by scaring you a little and bringing you the bad news about sleep. That is, more specifically, maybe a lack of sleep, uh, not enough at the wrong time for you personally, or disrupted sleep, possibly. All these things can come together to create a perfect storm that can have all kinds of negative repercussions on really every facet of our lives. I knew sleep was important before I started to do the research for this podcast. However, it, it goes pretty deep. <laughs> and don't despair because next week I will be bringing you the good news about sleep and ways that we can take back this vitally important part of our lives that I feel like modern life has really gotten in the way of. So to start with, I just wanted to go over and bring up my notes. Now, when we've had a poor night of sleep the night before, what happens is that we have not set our brains up um, by going through all of these things. I'm going to talk about the toxic buildup that happens, but we have essentially not cleared out the memory space from the previous day. And so we're just not laying down new memories. Um, I, I know this experience significantly when I was working graveyards, um, which actually shift work, uh, or overnight work has now been classified as a carcinogen by the World Health Organization because it has that dramatic of an impact um, on our immune system. But when you don't get the proper sleep from the night before, um, it's what puts you in that kind of dreamy, daydream kind of state where you're constantly sort of surprised uh, by what's happening. I'm sure like everybody's sort of experienced that. Um, where suddenly you kind of don't remember how you got somewhere or something like that, just for that moment uh, where you're surprised by something. And for the, I, I worked graveyards for six months after my son had turned six months old. So I had six months of this disrupted sleep um, from having a newborn baby. And then I went to work graveyard shifts. And interestingly, <laughs> I have very little memory of that time um, in general. Like I, I look back and it's very hard for me to uh, put together cohesive memories of, of that time. It's all sort of a blur. And when I think back um, to a previous time when I had worked graveyard shifts, uh, when you think about these, the lack of focus and the emotional volatility, it, it actually causes us to make very poor decisions. We have a hard time uh, using our critical mind to make appropriate decisions. So um, the next things that are con major consequences of a lack of sleep are actually blood sugar and appetite regulation. Having um, poor sleep increases the risk of obesity by as much as three times, um, depending on how exactly that sleep is being disrupted. But essentially, in nature, we don't find animals um, 
depriving themselves of sleep for no reason. Really the only reason that an animal, uh, historically, including humans, like if you look back in human history, even during some of the, the craziest parts of human history, really up until the light bulb, um, which Edison was quite an enemy of sleep, like he himself uh, advocated for trying to get as little sleep as possible, which I think is interesting. But before the invention of the light bulb, um, we just couldn't force people to work at weird hours. And so our sleep was still largely subject to day and night. And you don't really start to see problems with obesity start happening until um, people are pushing themselves to be up at weird hours of the day. And what happens is our body is sort of thinking, okay, well, we're not sleeping, so we must need to eat. We start getting um, very poorly regulated insulin, um, odd releases of uh, ghrelin, which is the chemical that makes us hungry. And we also have a, a harder time actually processing sugars. Um, so we're, we're putting on fat weight because our body thinks there, there must be something terrible happening. We must need this fat for later because something is not right. So along with building up, um, fat stores and the other kinds of, uh, consequences that happen from having high blood sugar, which can cause all kinds of damage all over the body, uh, we get other kinds of toxic buildups. So amyloid plaque, for example, is largely correlated with um, memory disorders like, uh, for some reason I can't find the word. Uh, it, interestingly, in preparation for this podcast, this past week I really have had not great sleep until last night when I slept about 12 hours. Um, lucky me. But uh, dementia and, and other forms of memory issues that happen later in life, um, these things have been linked to the increase of beta amyloid plaques in the brain. These things happen in everyone's brain, but what they have found is that when we don't get proper sleep, um, they're not being cleared on a daily, nightly basis the way that they should be. And also with that increase in insulin, um, basically the enzymes in our body that break down, um, the amyloid plaques kind of have to pick between insulin or beta amyloid. And so we get this, uh, compounding effect of too many tasks for the, for the available resources. And these things can actually compound to cause your sleep to be worse. Um, so it's, it's really just a snowball of bad news once, uh, these things have all started to happen. So finally, the final consequence that I'm going to talk today about, um, having poor sleep is immune system dysregulation. So after just one night of only four hours of sleep, they see a reduction in active T cells, which are the killer cells. They are the the assassins of the immune system. These guys are seeking out 
um, potentially cancerous cells. They are a critical part of our immune system. We see reduction in the activity of T cells by 70% after one night of only four hours of sleep. Now, I hope I don't have to tell anybody that cancer is a big deal. One in two women, one in three men will be diagnosed with cancer over the course of their life. This is new. This is not, uh, this is a, this is a symptom of modern day society. And you could say that there are all different kinds of reasons that this could happen. But when you see such a huge impact of one night's sleep, can you imagine what's happening to someone who's only ever sleeping for six hours a night? And then when you take into, there's, you know, the idea of social jet lag, for example, is something that happens to teenagers. Um, or, and including that other 20% of, of night owl adults who are trying to force themselves to go to sleep early during the week, waking up way before their body is ready to, during the week, to get to classes or to get to work. And then they sleep in on the weekend. They go out and they do evening activities. They stay up late and then they sleep all day on the weekend. It takes about three days to recover um, from actual jet lag and social jet lag is no different. And so that Wednesday hump day idea, I wonder how much of that comes from this social jet lag. And then we have Thursday and Friday and then Friday night we stay up. <laughs> so all of these things are really, uh, snowballing constantly. And I feel like most of us are just kind of getting rolled up in that snowball. And so next week, <laughs> I will bring you the good news about sleep, um, ways that we can take our sleep back, ways that we can get to sleep, stay asleep. Um, and just one little thing I want to leave you with for the next week is uh, one little nugget of good news that I heard is that there is no such thing so far that they have found too much sleep. There are some studies that say that people who sleep more than 10 hours a night are found to have higher all-cause mortality, which just means that they die um, for, from anything at a greater rate than the general population. Um, however, what most of these doctors are noting is that this isn't a causal factor. Um, it's very likely that folks who sleep more than 10 hours a night on a consistent basis are actually sick. <laughs> Their bodies are, are trying to heal from some other cause. And so they end up sleeping more than 10 hours a night. If you um, actually find yourself sleeping more than 10 hours a night, you, you probably need to go get yourself checked out by a doctor and determine if you have some other problem going on. Um, also, people who were put in a room for 14 hours a night for one month. What they found is that after they had recovered their, what they call a sleep debt, um, those people all slept for an average of eight hours a night. And the average sleep debt, however, was 30 hours. So that's a lot. When you add that up over the course of a couple weeks, um, what that 
really looks like in terms of what does that mean for us? How much earlier do we need to go to sleep? How can we possibly configure our lives and our schedules in such a way to make back those 30 hours of sleep debt that we've all are carrying around with us? So these are things I'm going to talk about next week and the good news about sleep. Thank you so much for joining me. I'm sorry that this was so uh, full of bad news, um, but it's some, it's really relevant, and I think that it's affecting probably everybody listening to this. So get out there and be your best human. Thank you. Here we go. I'm going to be referencing three talks um, and in no particular order, but this is where I got my information. Um, Dr. Matthew Walker has recently written a book called Why We Sleep. And so he has appeared on all kinds of interviews and talks and podcasts, as well as I believe he has his own YouTube channel. So I'll direct you there. And I will have these notes all in the description for the podcast today. So I listened to Dr. Matthew Walker's interview with Dr. Rhonda Patrick is how I found out about him and his book. I also listened to his talk at and I also listened to Why Sleep Matters, a talk at Harvard Medical School, um, where three members of the Harvard Medical School community came together and talked about how sleep affects our kids. Uh, it was one of the very interesting ones, I thought, um, why teens have a different need when it comes to sleep and how the public school system and the early school start times are not meeting that need. So first I want to talk about how is it that you can screw up your sleep? Obviously we know that not getting enough sleep can be bad, um, but what is enough sleep? Now that depends on the person. Um, I have heard that women typically need a little bit more sleep than men, and that's somewhere in a range of seven to nine hours, depending on the individual. So nine hours sounds like a lot, especially by um, modern standards. Uh, but when Dr. Walker was talking to uh, Dr. Patrick about a particular study I thought was interesting when they took a group of young, healthy people and they had them out um, in the mountains. And so they were away from any kind of artificial light whatsoever. And they didn't have any way of, of tracking the time. Now, they all reported that they got sufficient sleep before this experiment. Um, and those people were averaging about seven and a half hours of sleep a night, which is much better, I think, than, than the average person. Um, in America, especially, it's, it's very normal to only get six hours of sleep a night, which is definitely deficient. Um, these folks went from seven and a half hours of sleep a night to once they had adjusted, uh, they started going to sleep earlier, which you could expect uh, that they would go to sleep more with like the dark and light cycles. And they slept a total of nine hours average a night. So not enough sleep is clearly the first way that we can screw up our sleep. Another one that people are becoming more aware of is not getting sleep at the proper time. This is a case-by-case -case basis. Um, individuals have different sleep schedules and sleep cycles. Um, one of the
best references for this actually is a recent book by Daniel Pink called When. I have not read this book yet. However, I've listened to him talk about it. And one of the very interesting things is the chronotypes. Um, this is a little different than I, when I look up chronotypes, I find a lot of stuff about like, they have like animal archetypes um, for like five different kinds. Daniel Pink just talks about three uh, early people who are, he calls larks, third birds that kind of are more that somewhere in the average, the middle of the bell curve. And then night owls who would be at the far end, only about 20% of people who not only need to go to sleep later and wake up later, but they also experience their entire day cycle in the opposite way. Most people go through a peak at the beginning of their day where they're hypervigilant. Um, you can focus and complete a task well. And we all experience a trough somewhere in the middle of the day. And then that end of the day cycle is a recovery period. That's how most people go through their days. Night owl people go through that recovery period in the beginning of their day, which is also going to be starting later. And then they have their vigilant part of the day where they actually get their best work done at the end of their day, which is also going to be late. So we all probably know people that are like this, that consider themselves night people, and they're really getting down to business and, and doing important tasks right before bed, and they probably are, had to make sure I was still recording, my apologies, they're probably, um, these days, I would imagine a lot of these people probably get into tasks on the computer, which is actually probably further pushing back their sleep cycle. Um, so maybe they would naturally go to sleep around midnight, but since they're looking at a screen, maybe they don't go to bed till three, four, five in the morning, and then they're really screwing themselves up. On the other hand, maybe they have a job, a normal scheduled job where they have to wake up at seven in the morning to be there at nine o'clock. And so instead they're laying in bed, maybe they think they're an insomniac when really they're just trying to go to sleep far too early for their personal type. And it's really having negative repercussions throughout their life. So the next way that we can screw up our sleep would be disrupted sleep. Now, anyone that has small children knows what disrupted sleep is like, but this could happen for all kinds of reasons. Uh, certainly, there are studies that show that people in lower socioeconomic um, parts of town, for example, are going to experience more disruptions in their sleep. If you have a loud neighborhood, if you live in a city, if you don't have a way to block the noise out, or if you maybe even have to be hypervigilant and aware of the noises around you, these are going to cause disruptions for your sleep. Next uh, would be the blue light or just bright lights in the evening of any kind, um, especially LEDs, even the better LEDs that are coming out that don't have as much of the blue spectrum or they've managed to make it a little bit more like daylight. Um, we don't need daylight in the evening. So coming up with ways to dim down your house in the evening is going to help your body naturally make you tired. Um, we all have heard probably a lot about how the blue light from our screens is having a negative impact on us, which it certainly is. But I don't think that most people are thinking about the way that they light their 
whole house and how bright their home is late into the evening. I know here in the Northern Hemisphere in America, we just had our clocks change back, for example. And so we got an hour of sleep in the morning, but now we're finding that we have to brightly light our homes in the evening because it's getting dark um, at like five o'clock. And so even though it, it might just not be practical for us all to um, exist with the day-night cycle as it naturally goes, uh, I try to have kind of two sets of lights in our home. So we have dim lights for just general evening activities, and then we'll have bright lights that we can turn on if we need to do something where we have to be able to see very well or trying to get chores done in the evening, that kind of thing. But in general, um, having bright office lights and things like that uh, late in the evening is going to make it harder for us to get to sleep or even feel sleepy. Another one that I think everybody realizes that we shouldn't be drinking caffeine too late in the day. Um, I wasn't aware that the half-life of caffeine is actually 12 hours. So that means that at three o'clock in the afternoon, if you're having your last cup of coffee, at three o'clock in the morning, half of that caffeine is still in your system. So while I was trying to cut off my caffeine at three o'clock in the afternoon before, um, I'm going to be having to push myself back, hopefully to maybe 10 o'clock in the morning. I've, for now, I've been trying to just do it by noon. Um, but that can be difficult for a lot of us too. The way that caffeine actually works is it blocks what's called adenosine receptors. We all know about ATP, uh, or at least we've all heard of mitochondria, which are the little powerhouses of the cells that create this ATP, which is what the cells in our body break down for energy. Adenosine is that A in the ATP, and it's what's left over once it's been broken down. So as you can imagine, throughout the day, we're breaking down ATP, it's building up in our system, and it is what creates this sleep drive. And so while we've been awake, once we've been awake for 16 hours, generally speaking, that is about the time that our body decides, okay, now we really need to go to bed. And that adenosine buildup is what creates this sleep drive. It also kicks off the production of melatonin, uh, which coincides with it getting darker in the evening, which can be disrupted by those bright lights. And the way that caffeine works is it bonds to the same receptors as the adenosine in our brain. And so rather than telling, rather than actually giving us energy the way I think a lot of people think of caffeine, it's really just telling our bodies that we aren't sleepy. <laughs> so if you really feel like you need caffeine first thing in the morning, that is likely, it's not actually giving you energy. It's just shutting off the part of your brain that's telling you that you're actually sleepy. So that's the bad news there. So now we're going to get into more of like the consequences of these screwed up sleep cycles and what that can really cause and the repercussions. So first of all, something that I don't think we think about a lot um, 
is the emotional volatility caused by a lack of sleep or disrupted sleep or all these problems that can come from um, not sleeping right. Dr. Matthew Walker makes the point that there are no um, mental illnesses uh, that have normal sleep. Um, that is to say that anyone diagnosed with a mental illness is going to also have problems with sleep. Um, so depression being a really big one, uh, just being able to fix your sleep, often you can see significant improvements in people that have depression. Interestingly, um, today, one in five teenage boys is going to be diagnosed with ADHD, which in the Harvard Medical Study, or in the Harvard Medical Talk, uh, they were talking about how ADHD is a very rare disorder. And it's being diagnosed at such a high rate that it is far more likely that a lot of these children actually are having poor sleep. And so, you know, all the different kinds of emotional problems that people start to go through as they hit puberty. Interestingly, when we hit puberty, everyone naturally shifts over into this night owl cycle of sleep. So by trying to force teenagers to go to bed early so that they can wake up early for early school start times, um, we're really doing a massive disservice to starting kids early in school. They would be far, far better off um, going to sleep at their natural time, which is going to be somewhere around 11 o'clock to midnight, and then being able to wake up naturally. They need nine to 10 hours of sleep during this developmental time of their life. It's so important. Um, in school districts where they, this kind of gets to the next thing, which is that uh, <laughs> a lack of focus is a natural consequence of a lack of sleep. I'm sure we've all experienced that. Um, but one very real way that we can see this reflected in statistics is that when school districts shift their start times to 8.30 or later, school districts have seen a reduction in car accidents between the ages of 16 and 18 by as much as 70%. Now, this is a small sample size, and there are certainly other factors that could contribute to this, but that's so huge that I think we really need to start pushing for all schools to start starting at a much later time, or at least allow some kind of flexibility because this is, it's not only affecting kids' academic performance with that lack of focus that they have at school, but it's just affecting their, their health outcomes and their lifespan. Uh, car accidents are the number one cause of death among teenagers, and suicide being I think it's the second or third. It depends on what, how they break down the stats that you're looking at. But if depression can be so heavily influenced by a lack of sleep, I think you could see huge improvements if we just started letting 
young people sleep when their bodies need to. So another natural thing with goes along with that lack of focus um, is reduced memory performance. Now this has to do with the night before as well as the night after. When we sleep, we move the memories that are have built up throughout the day in our hippocampus to a deeper part of our brain. And this happens during these sleep spindles in our deep sleep. We also, during the REM sleep, when people dream, this is another way that we actually creatively integrate our memories that we've built up throughout the day. I thought that it was very interesting. There was a probability um, study where essentially like participants, uh, you kind of learn through interacting with this um, sort of like a game, which cards represent a, uh, a type of weather. And as you're playing the game, you sort of realize that it's one card isn't always going to correspond to a certain type of weather. And so it really comes down to probability. And for people who slept, they did 10% better than people who went back and did the same game, like the same amount of time later. So a night's worth of sleep actually helps us really understand the world in a deeper, more significant way than even just practice or experience can. 